message of love from Genesis to Revelation. It never changes. God loves you even when you don't feel lovable. God accepts you even when you don't feel like he accepts you. And when we start talking about God and we specifically focus down on Jesus, the Son, we're going to talk today about the word perfect and how Jesus was perfect. Now, how many of you, when you got engaged, thought your spouse-to-be was perfect? Just raise your hand. How many of you got a quick lesson? <laughs> Things change. Wait a minute. You're not perfect. I thought you were perfect, and you get this reality check. And there's something about that acquaintance and that time spent that brings reality to every situation. Whether it's a new car, a new house, a new girlfriend, a new wife, whatever it is, reality comes in, they are imperfect. But God is perfect. The amazing thing about the ministry of Jesus, though he was uh, raised and, and, and grew to 30, we know very little about that time frame from age basically 12 until he was 30 years old. But one thing we do know, when he asked the question to the Pharisees and those who knew him well after 30 years, he asked this question, which of you finds fault against me? No one could answer a word. He lived a life that was sinless. And without him being the sinless son of God, he could not be our savior. I want to give you a little lesson in philosophy and reason. You ready for that? Okay, here's the word. Syllogism. You got it? Syllogism. A syllogism is deductive reasoning consisting of a major premise, a minor premise, and a conclusion. Now let me give you an example. Here's the first one, major premise. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. God is sinless. Therefore, Jesus is sinless because Jesus is God. We use this kind of reasoning and logic all the time. When you start with the idea there is a God... Some people will object and say, no, I'm an atheist. I don't believe there is a God. But rules of logic and reason tell you if you come up with a God concept, there must be a anti-God or a Satan. If there's good, there's evil. If there's light, there's darkness. If there's truth, there's lies. When we approach the biblical account of the birth of Jesus, and we're going to take you there to Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, we're going to show you how, how God introduces to us sinless Son of God. And then we're going to begin to unpack that through a series of miracles. So here's the first uh, scripture we want to look at. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together. Now we point that out, that little section there, before they came together to show you that they had not had sex prior to their marriage. The idea of betrothal was the idea that you were more than engaged. You were committed to the marriage, and in order to pull out of a betrothal, you had to actually have a writ of divorce. 
So we don't really have that equivalent today. You know, engagements happen, they fall apart, uh, and there's not a whole lot of consequences other than broken hearts. But in that day, if you were betrothed, you were technically married. So he was betrothed, and before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Second thing that we notice here, something different about this birth than any other birth we've ever seen. He is, uh, he is somehow conceived by the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. In other words, the word put her away meant to divorce her and not make a big issue out of it. All of a sudden, he discovers that his wife-to-be is pregnant. He knows that he did not impregnate her. And so he says to himself, wait a minute, I'm an honorable man. I really do love her. She made a mistake. I'm going to put her away quietly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Now, the reason that's important, and, and the writer wants to include in the son of David, he's taking you back to King David. He's taking you back and showing you that this is a fulfillment of prophecy, that there was a promise that the, one, the coming Messiah would sit on the throne of David. So even though he was not physically a part of this birth, he was positionally a part, which would give Jesus the right to sit on the throne of his father David one day, and he will when he returns. So it says that Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Imagine this scenario going on in your mind. What do I do with this? I've definitely had a revelation from God. I've definitely had something happening here, and I've had this clear directive from an angel of the Lord. And it says, and she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, the revelation is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the way, uh, just assume that you're, you're living in that day, and Mary, they suspect, was somewhere between 13 and 15 years of age. Now, imagine your 13-year-old coming home with this message. I am pregnant, conceived of the Holy Spirit, in fulfillment of the biblical account, and my boyfriend, husband-to-be, had nothing to do with it. I mean, how do you react? You're going, yeah, right. Uh, I think we need to talk. But it was a way that God brought in the Savior of the world. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of uh, by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child. Now we're reaching back 700 years before this to the prophet Isaiah in the seventh chapter. And we see that God was predicting, God was prophesying what was coming. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. What better news than to have God with us? I want to talk to you about some miracles that occur in this story that we see today. Here's the first one. That the absolute holiness of God can reside in human flesh. That the absolute holiness of God can reside in human flesh. 
Man is not born perfect. Have you figured that out? You might look at that little baby and they're so cute and they take the bottle and they're doing all the kind of stuff. How long does it take for you to have the revelation that they are selfish? How long does it take for you to realize that they have something going in their system that is not perfection? That there's something happening here and as cute as they are and as innocent as they are, they have a nature that is bent towards sin. There's something in us from birth. There's something that is a part of our, our DNA and a part of our spiritual uh, networking that, that moves us in that direction and only begins to build over time, and we begin to see it more and more the older that child becomes. So here's the miracle. Man is not born perfect, and we know that by the, the genetic inheritance that we get. It reaches back, all the way back, to our ancestor, Adam. But Jesus was born in a physical body that was not sinful. Now these are building blocks for good theology. Jesus did not inherit genetic mutations or physical defects that are common to man. You see, the longer we live, the more, if you will, contaminated the genetic pool becomes. So every time we marry and remarry and we bring in other dimensions of genetic material, all of a sudden we have characteristics that may be the result of a father, a grandfather, or even further back. They're even discovering now that even memory can be locked into DNA. Now imagine that. Sometimes a person will say, well, I, I just have a deja vu, deja vu moment about that. wonder where that came from. And there's, they're finding that there could be memory locked in that goes back generations and generations. So it's, a, it's an interesting world that we live in. And, uh, you know, I get asked the question all the time, well, you know, Adam and Eve, and they had children. Who did they marry? Oh, it's simple. They married their sister. And everybody goes, Yuck. I wouldn't marry my sister, that's good. We don't want you to do that. But do you realize that God did not forbid the marrying of brothers and sisters until the time of Moses? The time of Moses, the law came in, and that one was where it was forbidden. Why? Because God had to populate the earth. But there was a second reason, it's a biological reason, and that is the genetic pools became contaminated, and God had to bring in all kinds of dietary laws, health laws, as well as spiritual commandments to protect man. And you begin to see that God has this, this big picture of man in mind. Now, who is this Jesus that we talk about? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, Great indeed is the mystery of godliness. Now, listen to this. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. That's what we call the incarnation. That's what we call when God takes on human flesh and is born in the likeness of men. You see, Jesus was not a lesser God. Jesus was not simply a man who loved God. Jesus is and was and always be, will be God of very God. Fully God and fully man. John chapter 1 and verse 14 says this, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. When you saw Jesus, you saw God. The reason they crucified Jesus was not because he was a miracle worker, not because he claimed to be the Messiah. They crucified him because he claimed to be God. And that was blasphemy. You being a man, make yourself to be God, they said. Second miracle, supernatural conception. The birth of Christ was significant because why? Because it, it signaled the entrance of God into time and space, into the world in which we live. All of a sudden, this great announcement, and we celebrate this birth of Christ, but the real miracle was a supernatural conception. There was something different. In every way, he was human except for sin. And all through his journey, there was that temptation to pull him away and to cause him to sin. You remember the the temptations there in the wilderness where Satan tried to tempt him three times. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, then do this, this, and this. But he resisted that because he was going to be the sinless savior given to mankind. He was in every way human except for sin. The conception The union that we know and we understand of that egg and that seed that happens all around the world every single day, but each carrying half of the genetics, physical and mental and maybe even spiritual, we're not sure. Yet the Bible says that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by Joseph. What's interesting is when we turn in our Bibles to the book of Genesis, the first, by the way, prophecy of the coming Messiah is found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, and it says this, uh, God is speaking to Satan, speaking to Eve, and he says this, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now, what's interesting about that is women don't have seed. Men do. And here's a prophecy saying, Satan, we're going to put enmity between your coming seed, Antichrist, and the coming Christ. There's going to be division there, but all of a sudden it's, it's got a glimpse here. There's a glimpse of miraculous here because it's her seed. Well, that doesn't make sense unless you understand the supernatural work of God. In Psalm 139, You might want to turn in your Bibles to this passage, Psalm 139, and I just want to take you through a few verses beginning in verse 13. And listen to what the psalmist says. For you, that is God, form my inward parts. Do you know you're a miracle of God in every way? Everything inside of you, everything about you is a miracle of God. You form my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. See, all of this is the hand of God. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. You see, God God made you in the womb in the secret, the mystery of what's going on, what will my baby look like, and now with technology we can, we can look and we can see with ultrasounds and 3D ultrasounds and all these other dimensions we can see, but we don't really know until the birth happens. 
Because God, God does his best work in secret. You see, some of the things that you worry about and you, that, that cause you consternation are the things that you see. And when you realize that what God is doing, he's doing something in the unseen world to bring about a change in your seen world. If you're letting circumstances and difficulties and problems set you back, then just step back and rest in God. He's working in the secret places. He's working in a way that you don't understand and I don't understand, and sometimes it takes years for us to see the revelation of all that God was doing to bring about a purpose and a transformation in your life, in your, in your family's life, in your friend, in your colleagues' lives, but God is working in the secret places. He says, I, I, his frame was hidden. He said, I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. I began to think about that phrase, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. What does that mean except that man was made from the dust? Do you remember that? Science has confirmed that we are really just carbon, hydrogen, amino acids, and proteins. We're all of that building blocks of the innermost parts of the world. Imagine written, this was written probably about, uh, Psalms was probably written about a thousand years before Christ. And somehow God was communicating some of the complexity of the composition of man described only in the lowest parts of the earth, in the deepest secrets of what we call today science. And then he says this, but your eyes saw my substance. God saw into the secret place. God sees into the secret place of your heart this morning. He knows what lifts you up. He knows what breaks you down. He knows your secret tears, even though you mask them with a smile. He knows what you fear. He knows what you long for. He sees all of that. And he doesn't see just to observe. He sees to get involved. He sees your substance. The psalmist goes on to say, being yet unformed in that embryonic state, I saw everything. The embryonic state of the miracles that God has in store for you, God sees, God plans, God purposes. Don't give up. Don't quit thinking about it. I remember my daughter when she was probably, I don't know, about 23, 24, she started getting marriage on the mind. And she started bringing home a lot of different guys that she was dating, most of whom I disapproved, as any good father should. You can get married at 50. (laughs) But I remember she would say to me, I just want to get married. I just want to have a home and a dog and a child and all that other kind of stuff. I just want to get married. I said, no, you don't. You don't want to just get married. What kind of man do you want to marry? Do you want a tall one, a short one, a fat one, handsome, ugly, poor, rich? Dumb, smart. Have you ever thought about your prayers and how you pray and how many times you pray without any sense of direction? God, bless me. Okay, what kind of blessing would you like? Comes the voice of the Spirit. You see, God wants us to be very specific in the way that we pray because God answers very specific. God does those kinds of things. And then the psalmist said this, And in your book they were all written. 
Now, he's not talking about the Bible here. Do you know the Bible has reference to many of the books of God? It talks about, for example, the book of works. It talks about the book of life. It talks about the Lamb's book of life. It talks about the book of remembrance. There are many books, and, and he says, in your book, they were all written. You see, God keeps the books. The days were fashioned for me. Do you know your days are fashioned by God? You know what that means? How, how many of you, ladies, how many of you like fashion? Raise your hand. Just raise your hand. You like fashion. Okay? The rest of you are lying, right? You know you like fashion. What is fashion? Fashion is putting something on that basically somehow accents who you are as a person. It compliments you, doesn't it? It makes you feel good. I don't know what it is about putting on something new. I feel like I look better. I really don't, but I feel like I do. All right? It says God fashioned you. You know what he does? He takes the essential who you are and he accents you to bring out the full dimension of creation in you. He fashions you. He says, let me show you what I can put into your life and I'm going to fashion you in a way that is going to be amazing. And it says, my days were fashioned. God takes every day of my life and he says, I'm gonna fashion your day and here's how I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna bring so-and-so into your life. I'm gonna bring this circumstance into your life. I'm gonna do this for you and you're gonna begin to see my hand. You're gonna begin to walk in my miracles like you never have before. When you begin to see who I am, because God keeps the books. The book of works is given to us in Revelation chapter 20. It's for unbelievers. It's where every unbeliever will stand before God. God will look at the works and say, no, I'm sorry, you've come short. There is the book of life where God writes the name of everybody when they're born, when they're alive. And then there is the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb's Book of Life is when you move from the Book of Life to the Lamb's Book of Life. That is, you've come to know Jesus. You've been saved. You have eternity now with him and not eternity apart from him. Let me show you miracle number three. Miracle number three is this one. God is always here. God is always here. This next section, I want you to listen carefully because this, is, this has got some, some information that you have to you have to think on for a moment. You have to let it sink in. If I say God is here, we would all say, yes, God is here. But if we take that to the next step is wherever we are, God is here. We talk about that in the terms we say God is omnipresent. It's a big theological word that means God is present everywhere all the time. God is here. So when you leave here, God is there with you because God is always here. There is no place and there can be no place where he is not. God is here. There is no point is nearer to God than any other point. See, we operate in time and space, and we think about how long does it take and how far is it, but God is close, is the same distance from everything all the time. He is always there. He is always here. Now listen carefully. The presence of God and the manifestation of, God, of the presence are not the same. The presence and the manifestation of the presence of God are not the same. You see, God is manifest when we are aware of his presence. 
In other words, you come to realize you are in the presence of God when you become aware of it, but he was there all the time. He is always present, but we are not always aware. It's the awareness of God that is transformational, not the presence of God. The awareness of God is what transforms your life, not his presence. You see, if you are a Christian, his presence by his spirit is in you, but that's not necessarily transformational unless you're aware of his presence in you. Unless you walk by the spirit, unless the spirit is released in you, you are not manifesting God in you and you're not aware of his presence. So you go through life carrying around a precious treasure the Spirit of God that you are unaware of because you are focused on other things and other circumstances, and you lose a sense of the presence. You see, God is forever seeking to manifest himself to us. He is always present, wanting to manifest, wanting us to realize that he is here. This question is, has plagued me for my entire Christian life, why do some find God in a way that others do not? How is it possible for two people to sit in the same room, hear the same message, and one be transformed by the miraculous presence of God, and one to walk out and all they can think about is what they're doing this afternoon? That's always amazed me. The spirit is the same. The presence is the same. The message is the same. What is the difference? What's going on? Why do some find God in uh, in a way that others do not find him? It is spiritual receptivity. It is my receptivity to the spirit. It is my awareness of his presence. It is the open heaven that speaks to me and ministers to me and works in me. You see, spiritual awareness has to be cultivated. That's the biggest thing. What are you cultivating in your life? What are you cultivating? That's what you're going to be aware of. You see, if Christianity is something you do when it's convenient or when you remember or when you're in crisis, you will never really understand the presence or the manifestation of God. Do you realize how few people even though Jesus walked in their presence, understood the manifestation of God? He walked in their presence. You said, if I would have lived in that day, if you are not aware of the manifestation of his presence today, you would not have been aware of the manifestation of his presence in that day, even though he walked by you and worked a miracle. Because he's working miracles and walking by you right now. It has nothing to do with the eye. It has everything to do with the heart. It has to do with the hunger and the receptivity that God has put, given you the capacity to have and to receive into God. That same psalm says, where shall I go from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, behold, you art there. If I ascend into the bottom of the grave, behold, you art there. If I find myself in the bottom of the ocean, behold, you are there. Where can I go from your presence? Once you have the awareness of the manifestation of the presence of God, he is everywhere you go.
He shades everything. He impresses you in every single situation with the thumbprint of his divine standard. To be aware and to have God's presence is really the ultimate experience of God. Let me give you some life applications. Here's what I've learned. God, God has not run out of miracles. Some people say, well, I think God used to do miracles. He doesn't do them today. God does miracles today. There's no shortage of miracles. You may have heard we gave a report, I think Tammy did last week or the week before, that some of the um, Muslim ladies who have been bringing prayer requests and putting them on our prayer wall reported that uh, their son was healed of cancer. It's not supposed to happen, is it? Is that supposed to happen? I mean, God, God heals Muslims? Yeah. Yeah, Hindus, Buddhists. God loves to do that. When, when you see the works of God, you're drawn to the presence of God. Without the works of God, it becomes stale religion. Once you see the works of God, you understand the power of God. You're drawn in and you say, I want a God like that. The supernatural God, second thought, the supernatural God still works supernaturally. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he work in the mystery in the hidden places, in the secret places, when you don't expect it, you sometimes just step back and go, what is God doing in my life? And the answer is plenty. Are you aware of it? Sometimes we nurture our hurt and our pain so much, we miss out on what God is doing and we waste our sorrows. And God is crafting you and shaping you after the divine image, but we waste them because we're so worried about us and how we feel and not what God is up to in our life. You see, God is here. But whether you're a believer or not a believer, you have to receive him. The presence of God is here. If if you are not yet sure of your eternal salvation, he is here, but you have to receive him. If you're a believer, he is here, but the manifestation of his presence is not here for you unless you're aware of that presence. Let's stand together. As we stand, Father, I pray that you would right now, in this moment, God, just make your presence known. Make us aware right now that you are here. I pray that you will not just faith the presence of God. I believe that God wants you to feel the presence of God. I want to pray that there is just a divine pressure that comes on you. And maybe in that still, small voice that only God speaks, he says, I'm here. And when you sense that presence, ask God to increase that presence and your awareness of it. Ask God to manifest himself to you in the sense that God is speaking, God is God is stirring your heart. God is stirring your mind. You're, you're, you're feeling God come. You're inviting the Spirit of God to make himself known to you. And maybe it's your mind has just been enlightened, some truth. That's the Spirit of God. 
Maybe you've made some kind of a commitment that I want to go in the direction of the presence of God. I, 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 want, I want to increase my receptivity of the Spirit of God. God doesn't force himself on anyone. God works in ways that only God can work. God manifests himself in ways only God can manifest himself. God stirs your heart like no other. 